Hey, Retrospectors, for our third birthday, we've filmed an hour-long Q&A answering your questions. We discuss our favourite facts, how we make the show, and what we've learned along the way. If you're already supporting us on Patreon, thank you. You can watch it right now at patreon.com slash retrospectors. And if you're not a Patreon member, sign up. You don't have to pay a thing to become a free member and watch it now. So check it out. It's free. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Content warning. Check the show notes for more information. It's May 26th, 1998, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel. Rebecca and Ollie, the Retrospectors. So it was today in history in 1998 that the first National Sorry Day was marked in Australia. Uh, And it's an event that's happened every year since. So it's also Sorry Day today, the day this episode is released. And the purpose of it is to commemorate the confinement and forced assimilation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and First Nations people, the so-called stolen generation, forcibly separated from their families as children. Yeah, and the first uh, Sorry Day was marked with lots of events. I was actually still in the country. This was before I came over to live in the UK. And there were like 300 official events around the country and more than a 1,000 people turned up to a ceremony that was held at Parliament House in Canberra. But alongside all of those official events, there was just a lot of like individual kind of reflecting and engaging with the question because I think even at this stage, Australia was still having to do a lot of learning finding out about our own past. The government now estimates one in ten Indigenous children were forcibly taken from their families between 1910 and 1970. So this affected around 50,000 kids. Yeah, and that's kind of the low end of the estimate range. You know, what was going on here was something that smacked very much of eugenics. Yeah, in a report that had been published a year before, so the first Sorry Day fell on the first year anniversary of the publication of this report, one of the recommendations was that there should be a formal apology and a series of formal apologies from state and federal government to the Indigenous community for the things that transpired. The stolen generations were specifically mixed-race children, almost all of them with Indigenous mothers and white fathers, who would then be forcibly removed from those Indigenous communities. They, you know, they usually didn't have contact with their white family, so it was pretty, pretty easy for the white authorities to just remove them. And they were then either raised in institutions, often religious institutions, or fostered out to white Australian families. You know, and obviously with all of the abuse and exploitation that accompanies that kind of, you know, mass forced movement of children into strangers' homes. Well, that's it, isn't it? Like wherever, actually, there are institutionalised children. And you see this in doubtless well-intentioned movements of the Second World War in this country, like child evacuees or the kinder transport. Mm. You know, even if people are, are apparently rescuing you from certain death, if they're leading you into a place where you're going to be sexually and physically abused and traumatised for being separated from your community, that is going to have repercussions. I think that's what's a bit hard to understand about this is that... They believed then, you know, you have to imagine this is the 1950s in Australia, 
They believed that mixed-race children would have more advantages in mainstream Australian society if they were raised in white families. It was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way because a lot of white lawmakers at the time seriously believed that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders were going to die out. You know, the numbers had dwindled so much since European colonisation that they were inevitably doomed as a group. But then by taking away the mixed-race children who obviously were part of those communities, you're kind of ripping out the heart of that community even more. So that just continues in this vicious circle mm. of, well, look at the state of these communities, we need to get these kids out. And then you've got all of these you know, completely torn-apart communities left behind. And and also what's really clear is that there are certain parts of the media in Australia that just simply weren't interested in covering this story for non-Indigenous people. And so the policy having been established, you have these institutions that become synonymous with abuse. I mean, most heinously, a Ballarat Orphanage, which didn't close until 1987, had led to the deaths of at least 25 children. You had stories like that in plain sight being ignored. Mm. And so you can see how, in 1997, after the publication of this report, there's this sort of feeling of a need for a national moment to come to terms with this. You can see the sort of politics as well that's trending in the Western world. You know, you've got Tony Blair in Britain, you've got Bill Clinton in the USA. And then you have this day that's called Sorry Day. <laughs> And yet the most obvious thing to come from that, which would be the Prime Minister standing up and saying sorry, that didn't happen until 2008, yeah. almost a decade afterwards. Yeah, well, that is partly to do with the fact that it took Australia so very long to vote John Howard, who was Prime Minister at the time, out. You know, he was the one dragging his heels in this regard. His position was that you can't apologise directly for the ills of previous generations. He's, he was trying to say, and this was an idea that caught on among a lot of particularly his voters, but I'd say, you know, it resonated with plenty of Australians you know, that you can't say sorry for something that you didn't do yourself. And so it's better to offer a different sort of expression. And so he found himself standing up and offering deep and sincere regret that Indigenous Australians suffered injustices under the practices of past generations, but absolutely and indefatigably stopped short of saying sorry. And, you know, I suppose he was trying to say it wasn't my administration, so therefore I and all of the people who work with and around me are not responsible for that. But I think the, the way that the eventual apology came about when finally the new Prime Minister, Kevin Rudd, who had made an apology part of his government's first parliamentary act after his 2008 swearing in, the words that he used was that he promised to remove the great stain from our nation soul and in a true spirit of reconciliation to open a new chapter in the history of this great land, Australia. You know, he was talking really about, it doesn't matter what I as an individual did, it, we're talking about ourselves as a country and we're talking about the actions and very recent, as you say, Ollie, actions of this country's government. And so it's really important for us to find a way to say sorry for that. The turning point had come about when Howard was still in office in the year 2000. The third National Sorry Day was marked by a march across Sydney Harbour Bridge, which drew a quarter of a million people, which was the largest ever demonstration in Australia. The turnout was far larger than anyone expected, particularly because of the number of white marches. You know, the organisers just hadn't been able to predict how many people would turn up in solidarity. You know, they carried banners, they flew the Australian flag, various Indigenous flags, and the highlight was a sky writer in the sky above who spelled out sorry over the harbour to 
huge cheers. It really was amazing. I I was there and it's giving me goosebumps again to a little bit relive it. And particularly that skywriting, it was so at odds with a prime minister who was refusing to say a thing. And there were the heavens, like the biggest possible billboard that you can imagine saying sorry directly in his face. It was it was an amazing moment. Nonetheless, by 2008, when Kevin Rudd made this speech, there was still conflict within Parliament, wasn't there? Peter mm. Dutton, who was a prominent Liberal politician at the time, but is now the opposition leader in Australia, walked out of Parliament during the speech. He says now that he didn't understand the symbolic significance of it then. I don't understand how that's possible. <laughs> I mean, it's fairly straight. I understand it, and I've only been looking into it this morning. And his argument then was that he thought the apology should only be made after the government had closed the gap between outcomes for Indigenous and non-Indigenous people, even though that's not what any Indigenous person was saying <laughs> so should be his, the case. His, right. his plan was to meet all the targets and then turn around and say, and you know why we did all this, guys? Because yeah. <laughs> we're so sorry. <laughs> and a big buzzer would go off. <laughs> and it was clear that um, the ongoing debate that there is around reparations and whether financial consideration should be made was going to be a step too far even for Kevin Rudd in 2008, mm. I mean, he said in that year, quote, we will not under any circumstances be establishing any compensation arrangements or any compensation fund. Absolutely blunt on that, which I mean, at least is is clear. <laughs> but the report that inspired Sorry Day, one of the key recommendations was that reparations be made. And the closest the federal government came to that was in a sort of gesture, really, ensuring that any donations to the Stolen Children Support Fund would be tax deductible. I mean, big whoop. And, and the other function of Sorry Day in Australian culture, in a way, is that it's the sort of an awkward attempt to balance out Australia Day, which, mm. you know, it's undergone a Christmas-style secular rebranding <laughs> to become a generic, inoffensive celebration of Australian culture and Australian values. But fundamentally, it marks the anniversary of European colonisers arriving in Australia. So it's always been a contentious day. And before Sorry Day was established, that was really the nexus of Indigenous protest. You know, Aboriginal groups had long boycotted Australia Day. There was one really like horrifying incident in 1938 when Indigenous activists had organised a demonstration in Sydney on Australia Day, which was the first formal protest of its kind. And at the time, it was to raise awareness of the fact that um, Aboriginal Australians didn't have full civil rights. Meanwhile, the government of New South Wales seized Aboriginal men from a nearby reservation, held them overnight in a police station stables, and then made them participate in a reenactment of the arrival of the first fleet. Cracky. Wow. <laughs> I think that the tide is turning gradually. I think that, like, for anyone who says we just have to abolish the whole day, there's plenty of people stepping in going, you know, short of that, we could just move the day. Like, we can still celebrate the greatness of our country, but how about mm. we don't associate it with that moment of uh, invasion where, you know, the colonisation project began. And I think that's not hard to see as, like, the potential way forward. But I think you do see this sort of flip-flopping of different governments representing different views on this question. And, you know, one of the recent Conservative Prime Ministers, Scott Morrison, on one particular Sorry Day made headlines for saying, sorry isn't the hardest word. The hardest word is I forgive you. Kind of saying, you know, we've said all the sorry we need to say and now it's up to you Indigenous folks to, like, just forgive us and we all move on, which just seems the most ludicrous thing to be I mean, saying on that day in particular. If you're going to quote a songwriter in this context, it shouldn't be Elton John but Justin Bieber. <laughs> is it too late now to say sorry? Yeah. <laughs> no, go for it. Stop conflating empathy and liability. Right. <laughs> I think everyone knows the hardest word to say is reparations. Yeah. 
And so another week of retrospecting ends. But next week begins a day early at Club Retrospectors. Join us now to get an exclusive episode every Sunday. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.